My name is John Chandler, and this is Sermonsmith, a bi-weekly conversation about the craft of sermon preparation. My guest today is Jason Clark. Jason is the founding pastor of Sutton Vineyard in the United Kingdom. It's uh, on the outskirts of London. This conversation to me kind of reminded me of talking to Johnny Ive about preaching. I've never talked to Johnny Ive about anything, let alone preaching, but Jason's thoughtful manner, maybe it has to do with that he looks a little bit like Johnny Ive when you see a picture of it. Maybe it's the British accent, although maybe they're from completely different parts of the country. I have no idea, but I, I hope you'll enjoy this one as much as I did. Jason, especially coming from the UK, brings a unique and fresh perspective to some of the conversations that we've had so far, and it was a conversation I really enjoyed. I've known Jason just a little bit through the internet for about 10 years, but this conversation was everything that I hoped that it would be. Sponsor today is Audible for audiobooks. If you're listening to this and you probably enjoy listening to uh, spoken word audio, uh, Audible is a whole collection of ebooks. You can get a free book and support the podcast by going to audibletrial.com slash sermonsmith. I find it's a great way to do sermon prep on the go. I listen to probably uh, probably one or two audiobooks every month and ultimately uh, find myself getting ideas for illustrations or other things I might use in my sermon. The one I'll recommend to you this time is a book that's actually been around for a little while, but if you've never read it, an audiobook is a great way to, to take this one in, and that's called The Year of Living Biblically by A.J. Jacobs. I'm actually just finishing up another A.J. Jacobs book, and it reminded me of this one, but he is a humorous author. He's one of those rare authors that's enjoyable to listen to his audiobook as it is to read him. He, he reads it very, very well, and he spent a year just trying to live the Bible completely Literally, he is not a person of any faith to speak of that he would say, other than he is Jewish in blood. But it's pretty a pretty great and fascinating and entertaining read, especially when you get to some of the conclusions that he starts to draw at the end of the book. So you can get that, or you can get any Audible book for free by going and signing up for a trial for Audible, audibletrial.com slash sermonsmith. As always... The links, some of the books, the things that Jason mentions, you can find in the show notes at sermonsmith.com. Thanks so much for listening, and here we go. <laughs> well, uh, let's let's jump right in, Jason. Why don't you uh, why don't you tell us about Sutton Vineyard? Tell us about the context where you preach. Okay, John. So I'm on the southwest edge of London. Our church is uh, 18 years old now. So uh, just having our 18th birthday party, I was 28 when we planted it. Wow. Uh, 46 now. Yeah, the years have flown by. Um, our context is uh, pretty... Uh, well, London is very concentrated. So the population density is about 17 million people in a radius of 10 miles. Wow. So uh, we have a huge number of people uh, and population density is high. Travel time across that area takes forever. So uh, it can literally take 30 minutes to travel three miles um, at any time of the day. So uh, it, it, it's an interesting, it's more like a collection of towns that have all morphed together. So London's a great place in, because of the population density. It means things for church planting, um, 
and proximity to other Christians to collaborate in churches is very intense. Mm. Uh, but it then has this uh, drag factor of uh, people uh, have got the highest costs of living, the longest working hours, um, and uh, some, some other particular challenges that uh, bring into focus some of the secular issues of the UK in particular. So that's, uh, that's our context, I'd say. On the edge of London, a slightly more affordable uh, part of London, lots of young families as a result of that where we live because they've, they've generally moved out of the centre of London to somewhere more affordable. So uh, uh, there you go. That's a bit yeah. about us. And it, so would most of your church have long commute times or do a lot of people work right in that area? Uh, generally in our area, we are, I would say, sort of middle to lower middle class. Lots of teachers in this area in our church. Uh, lots of uh, builders, decorators, uh, people that work with their hands, uh, people in middle management. Uh, a few people in the church who would be uh, owning their own companies or more in senior responsibilities for jobs in London. They would commute generally and they'd be commuting maybe three hours a day uh, into and out of London. The the previous church I was part of, it, it seems to be the more you progress into London, the more people commute. Uh, whereas the, the Vineyard Church we came from and were planted from, uh, most of the people that was further into London, most of those people would have been commuting into London. Um, I used to commute from this area in my previous job. I was an investment broker in London. So, uh, so yeah, so we, we do have some people commute into town, as we call it, but uh, most people probably driving or commuting more locally, crisscrossing around a, an area of London here. Yeah. And, and I'm, I was trying to recall... Um, you might be the first vineyard pastor I've interviewed. Uh, you're certainly the first from the UK. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> so, so knowing that you, I'm asking this question a little bit just for you to offer a vineyard perspective, but even more so just to offer yep. the perspective particular to where you are. But what would you say is the role of preaching in the life of your church, in the life of your congregation? Uh, preaching has been vital to our church for its growth, uh, for evangelism, for uh, gathering people. Um, I think our, I mean, just to give you again a bit more context, our church after 18 years is 500 people as best as we can tell with adults and children. Um, that's not large by some context, but where we are, it makes us the largest yeah. church for for miles i would think um, yeah most yeah so uh I'm, I'm not sure what the average size of a church in the u.s is in the uk i, I think it's something under 20 people now uh, across the uk so uh so yeah slow sort of steady growth we're we're considered a large church locally um and uh, preaching has been has been vital to to the life of the church and that's been uh, in many of the discussions about church in the last 10, 15 years, in some ways counterintuitive with many of the things that people may have read or heard. Uh, and we've been on quite a journey with understanding the place of uh, preaching and teaching in the life of the church. Um, but it, it remains core to our gathering and evangelism and discipleship and, and spiritual formation. It, it's vital. I think without that, we're, our church would uh, not be... Uh, doing many of the things that it does and it is 
So uh, say more about what you just have said, particularly about it being counterintuitive. It, I mean, would the expectation be that the church has dwindled in post-Christian England so much that preaching and Sundays are less relevant, and you're finding that's exactly opposite? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the bigger the bigger question. What is the place of, say, congregational life in terms of church practices in a post-Christian context? And there's been a move by many people to disassemble Sundays in particular and try and push those into a variety of things or, you know, fresh expressions or yeah. uh, SE church and some other things. And then to dismantle uh, uh, preaching. So a crude way summary would be that, you know, many books and strategies and uh, people uh, up on missional contexts and post-Christian contexts would say, nobody wants to sit down and listen to somebody in front of them talking. So we need participation and, and involvement and other stuff. Um, we, we tried that as a church early on. Uh, one of the joys of being a church planter is you get to experiment with lots of things. Um, and the, the, the process we've gone through with exploring that, I mean, we did a whole load of uh, experiential kinesthetic learning things around teaching times, uh, moving people around the room with participation, uh, using... Uh, maybe some ancient future stuff and some liturgical practices for multi-sensory experiences um, and found that those were they were fun uh, it was enjoyable they were very resource intensive sure. uh, but ultimately they really uh, let, didn't extend far enough for us once we'd grown above a certain size uh, they were restrictive in terms of connecting with more people um, and actually became dissatisfied with them uh, educationally, let alone in terms of spiritual formation, in terms of what they were doing with people. Um, and they seem to be having the opposite effect of, uh, and I have to be careful here how I say this, mm. pandering to people's occasionalism um, and became more forms of entertainment and fun for the few times they were there so there, there's a whole bigger discussion on uh, on that but we found but i found myself um digging more and more into uh, preaching and teaching my doctor of ministry a few years ago explored some of these trajectories uh and found ourselves moving more into i guess a more traditional mode of preaching and teaching which is very different in my denomination uh, my denomination has a reputation for just being largely conversational um you stand up, have a general chit-chat. Uh, there's no real structure to the preaching and teaching, and we don't have a particularly high view of it. Worship times and ministry, praying for people, are predominantly the focus of most of our vineyard churches. So um, that sort of went against the grain uh, from my denominational experience of uh, turning in towards preaching. So looking at really good preachers and teachers currently in history and seeing how they uh, delivered preaching and teaching and then with a view to the contextual issues that we were facing so I think we sort of had a, a second period in the life of our church of, of taking uh, good reformed biblical preaching and teaching and focusing that around the contextual and theological issues so uh, I know I'm using a, a long answer to your question no I'm loving it I'm loving uh, it I'm soaking it up <laughs> 
Okay, so uh, I think what we found was that the the issues of like people wanted to belong before they believe, and what was the gospel, and there were some some massive issues we've had to explore theologically as as a church, but ultimately people still wanted to hear scripture read and God's story, and have uh, an engagement uh, of understanding. Um, and connecting their own context to the context of scripture through some of those particular challenges. So, uh, preaching was just a vital, uh, tool for that. Um, and, and, uh, then I think a third trajectory of pressing into the, uh, I guess more, oh, hashtag led. Uh, kind of sermon series again try to encourage people in terms of moving from occasionally to coming regularly trying to give them details in advance of series uh, having a progression using social media and hashtags and sharing resources um, and that's been an interesting experience in terms of a strategy for uh, outputting of preaching and involving other people in the teaching and, and ministry um, we find ourselves after 18 years making uh, quite a substantive change at the moment, sort of away from that. Um, when most books and materials on preaching and teaching I'm reading are saying that that's a, a thing to press into, but we're we're finding for our context in the UK that we're wanting to uh, maybe not press too far into that uh, strategic model. So I could tell you a bit more, but I probably talked enough for the moment. <laughs> no, I, I it's. It's really encouraging, actually, to hear what you're saying, because one of the reasons I'm even doing this podcast, I mean, I, I love the act of preaching, and I love the process of writing sermons and all that. And there's yeah. been there's certainly been conversation in the United States that matches up with what you're describing. You know, we're behind you as far as a post-Christian curve, but it's certainly happening. And, you know, yeah. there are the conversations about does preaching have any value? And I, I'm really thinking it just has more and more, because there's got to be some kind of declarative quality to the church to yeah. say this yeah. this is what it means for us to be the church you know and so maybe the difference is there's more opportunity for engagement and feedback but at least there's some kind of decla yeah. declaration to start a conversation and invite people into Absolutely. does that match up with what you're finding there yes so uh i mean a a a, a, a i guess a theological um term or, or more uh, an academic term a phrase has helped me of social imaginaries mm -hmm. uh, from uh, Charles Taylor so the notion that people are going through life not so much with propositional beliefs in their heads but that people are a mixture of thoughts feelings emotions habits practices but there is a most of us go through life on an imagined basis we we imagine where we are and think about and conceive of where we might be and then we do things and experiences to to bridge that gap or, or to make measurements about life um and that i think you can extend that into any environment people go to a football match and there's certain things that are repeated and songs they sing and you know they wear the same uh, outfits and there's all the statistics that people use sorry by football i mean soccer i know what you mean for, uh, <laughs> we all know what you, you know mean, what I mean. Uh, you know, so there is a repetition and there's celebration and there's, but there is a certain close delineation to what's taking place and there are rules and there is, you know, there's actually not much that goes on a, a soccer match apart from soccer. Um, and people still manage to bring their own life into connection with that. Now, 
if if the gospel is you know the grandest story and uh, uh, fuel for imagination that there is, um, if we're not retelling that story and entering into the practices of what it means to be a Christian with other people, um, what ends up happening is you can get a bunch of Christians together to talk about Christianity or, uh, you know, have some multi-sensory experiences and do stuff. But like you say, if there's no declarative reminder of who we are, where we're from, what we're about, what we're called into and bringing our stories into context with the biblical story, um, we end up with our imaginations being furnished by anything and everything other than the gospel. Uh, and that's where I think that preaching is, is key. Um, and again, this will be anecdotal, but I, I do have research for this and I have been able to travel around the world in the last 10, 15 years and see lots of different forms and types of church. Um, and I, I'm not going to it's not so much with regards to preaching, but groups of Christians who give up the practice of retelling the Christian story together in some way stop being Christian. Uh, and in particular, if they stop having the Christian story as their as their basis for being and for worship and identification, um, often what happens is those groups get subsumed with people's own pain, their own context, their own culture, um, and that becomes the dominant dominant narrative and theme uh, and mode of worship. So, uh, without getting too academic about it, I guess I'm saying I think it's it's about we've got to bring our story into the context with the gospel story and uh and there are creative and imaginative ways to do that but preaching i think is is vital to that um and it changes with dynamics and types of groups and contexts and sizes of of uh, of, of meetings that you're in yeah well thanks I, I mean that's certainly the most uh we've hashed through in any of the prior conversations that particular question but i think it's I think it's helpful and relevant. And it's, you know, the first few interviews, I didn't include that question about the role of preaching. And then I realized there's some right. presuppositions people are bringing into their preaching that's affecting how they're preparing their sermons. So it's good to do that. And so I'm, yeah. I'm curious now to go from here and hear more about yep. with that, how you put your sermons together. And so you mentioned hashtags. And I was looking back at your, yeah. Uh, I was looking back at your podcast. You know, probably the prior six months. All right, I, yeah. I see you're using hashtags. It looks, it looks like, and I only listened to one just to get a feel. But it looks like you kind of have this topical rotation that you're connecting to hashtags. So talk about, talk about how you're putting your larger perspective of what you're going to preach on together. And I see you're certainly inviting other voices too. Yeah. So, I mean, we've say, just had a season, John, of looking f further ahead to plan talk series and then serialize them and advertise them through social media and try and find a, an overarching, uh, theme to them. Uh, you've, you've caught me in the podcast today, just about to make a significant change and move away from that. Okay. Um, Maybe if I explain why, um, I don't think we've found it's made any difference whatsoever into people engaging more regularly. Um, now we, because of people's lifestyles, busyness and everything else, we, we find that where we are, we probably have 
uh, you know, there's a hardcore number of people that will come regularly most Sundays. Um, but most people will come one Sunday, one month and two the next. And that makes them frequent attenders of, of our church in between, uh, in the UK, most people have five weeks annual leave. So they'll take the Sunday before and Sunday after off. So that's, you know, that's a good 10 Sundays a yeah. year just with their annual leave. Uh, take public holidays, take illness, take work things. It, it's very easy for people to be gone for significant periods of time doing other things. And our challenge is not that we have Christians in church too much. We have Christians with virtually no contact uh, with, with, with church as one of our biggest challenges. So in terms of serializing and doing things, I think maybe it's it's helped people engage a little more we track the podcast in terms of downloads and people may have been uh, following up on them a little bit more than they did um but we've we've uh, sort of come to a, a conclusion and trying to move things on in, and in conversation with a few other pastors i've been reviewing this with it it feels like um a couple of things have happened firstly with i think what we've been trying to do is by using sermon series in this way, I in particular have been trying to challenge our congregation and community to see how exciting the, the Bible is and to engage in it in their everyday life, hoping that they'll read it in small groups and on their own. So a lot of the time, what we've done on Sundays has been a here is why the Bible is important or here is why Christianity is important. Um, and that sort of hashtagging of series lends itself towards that and pushes you more into the here's how Christianity can help you. Um, I think we've lent into that quite a bit as a church. But what we hoped was that people go, oh, wow, Christianity really is you know, engaging and helpful in everyday life. I'll take part in other things or small groups or on my own. And that really hasn't been happening as as best as we can tell. And we've been surveying our people, uh, people's engagement on an ongoing basis with the biblical story and gospel story doesn't seem to have increased at all. Um, so we're trying to turn things around the other way now uh, and saying, actually, Again, this is specific to our context here in the UK. We've got lots of people who are unchurched who've become Christians in our church and quite a few new Christians at the moment. Um, most people in the UK, my age and younger, have got almost no church contact at all and have no experience of the gospel at all. So biblical literacy is um, is quite abysmal. And people literally do not know one part of the Bible from the other because they've had no contact with it at all in the whole of their childhood and through to adult life. So we find ourselves saying, well, if that's the context, um, maybe we need to work really hard instead of telling people, you know, the stories of the Bible are really important get into them we actually need to be sharing more on our sundays the key stories of the bible so we're starting to sketch out uh, i guess a curriculum or syllabus for our preaching and teaching of saying how do we take our whole church over three years for a complete overview of the bible like who were the major prophets the minor prophets what are the key doctrines in scripture um, who are some of the key characters in the Bible? Uh, so focusing on, say, the, the top 20, 30 characters of scripture and how they're engaged. Uh, where is, uh, where do we find Jesus in the Old Testament? Um, 
and in some ways you know I, I say i know i didn't grow up in church you know my wife who grew up in a brethren church says man that's what i used to do every sunday growing up in the brethren church mm. um and it's why she knows her bible inside out and back to front so uh i think we're leaning more into the let's make sure that even if people only come one sunday in the month they don't just hear about how the bible can help them and it's a good story for them to engage in they actually go away having had a profound experience of meeting somebody uh, and god's people in scripture um and that means we're going to move away from the hashtagging yeah. and trying to come up with relevant talk. So actually, the talk series, we're going to try this and see what happens. We'll say, you know, who were the minor prophets? <laughs> you know, who were the major prophets? So, and that feels a little counterintuitive to a lot of the stuff that we read that would that would say, well, you've got to say, what's the angle on the minor prophets and how did they do something? Um, you know, and then you'd have to find... Uh, a, a, a suitably reflexive hashtag that would be emotive for people. So we're actually going to try and we're going to not do that. Um, and I think the other thing that we've uh, realized, John, the second thing uh, was that there is, when you've got less and less contact with people, there is the pressure and temptation to use preaching times for strategic engagement in the church, for recruiting of people, explaining things to people. Uh, and I know when I talk to other pastors in our context, they say, well, look, if I only see people once a month in the year, if I don't explain to them how to get involved, what to do next and be strategic with them, uh, they they won't connect with what we're doing. Uh, and uh, I, I must admit, mulling that over with a few friends found it was a law of diminishing returns. And we, again, we made the decision that with less contact with people, we're actually going to do less of that strategic training and recruitment and make the preaching much more focused on what's the message of the gospel and the story here for them. Now, that means that pushes all the stuff we might normally do into other ways that we've got to network and be relational and communicate with people. So those are the two big changes that we're making. So come back and ask me in a year how it's yeah. gone and I'll, uh, I'll let you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I love the sound of it. Do you just by chance, I mean, do you already have some kind of document that outlines what you want to do in those three years that you'd be willing to share? Uh, no, I don't have a document cause I've literally, um, agreed this with myself and a couple of the key guys in our preaching team and we're going to be meeting over the next three months putting a uh, syllabus and schedule together uh, so that we won't have anything on paper until this autumn but the big questions we've asked is okay we've, we've established our purpose for preaching and teaching which is we're now very focused and saying it's it's for one purpose only for people to encounter the story of of scripture um, as, as profoundly as we possibly can in 30 minutes on a Sunday with them. Uh, that then means we're asking the question for the syllabus and planning is, if someone came to every single service, which they won't, but if they did and listened to our podcast, could we in a three or five year period, but we're kind of waiting for three, how would you take somebody in our context who knows nothing about the Bible and have them have a complete, overview or well, not complete but as a helpful overview of the whole of scripture um from from start to finish in terms of characters and people and beliefs and doctrines and and other stuff um that means i'm doing a lot of research at the minute trying to look for curriculums like that 
And yeah. uh, so if you've got any resources, chuck them my way because uh, we're literally just about to engage in this. Yeah. All right. Well, all that said then, and uh, I, I'm curious as you do that, you know, um, yeah. it, it sounds like it'll end up being very didactic in terms of information. So what what goals will you have in mind right. I'm purely asking this for my own curiosity because I tend towards enjoying yeah. being d- didactic. So what goals will you have in mind for each Sunday? Will you still try to preach towards some kind of formation transformation or is it, do you just feel like needing to immerse people in the story will be so helpful for them to put all the rest of the pieces together? I think there's a few, few elements we'll be retaining John. One of them, yes, it, it, you know, a didactic approach and not being too, too worried about that i i find people like like good preaching we find in our context that unchurched people new christians really like good preaching um the people who don't like even good preaching are generally the people who are christians who have decided they hate the church um in our experience here and that's not our focus and uh you know for people that are saying i never want to hear another sermon for the rest of my life well they can go somewhere else uh <laughs> but but for people who are wanting to grow and learn in the christian faith you know they 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 absolutely love it and they don't have those uh hang-ups so yes there's a there's a didactic um element to it uh there's a major semiotic element to what we do um and that will continue. So the the metaphors, um, and again, that's a whole topic on its own that we could talk about. But, um, you know, I was just looking at the other day, uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, Christian Reflections, um, I think page 173 in the version I was looking at, said that, you know, what, what, what we need is not a new apologetic. We need new metaphors. Um, and I think people like Jamie Smith, Mm-hmm. If you're familiar with with his sure. stuff on imagining the kingdom, and is it, helping us realise that we we go through life on the basis of stories and an individual culture and an experiential culture. So actually, even though there's an irony of standing up and using words, metaphors are much more powerful, and scripture is full of the most amazing metaphors and there's there's an interpretive grid for exegeting scripture semiotically through images and and metaphors so that that's another element um and then there's a strong application element um which is so what does that mean for me uh you know what what does that mean in terms of practice or habits or taking action uh so we'll probably have those three elements in ongoing in our preaching and teaching, we've, we've already had them. Say so the didactic in terms of communication and information, the semiotic and the imagery for for experience and, and broader imaginational uh, mappings, uh, and then the call to action. You know what 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 can I now go and do that will transform me and change me? The transformative part, um, and hoping that all three of those together uh, lead to to transformation. Got it. Well, thank you. That's that's great. So. Uh, all that, all that asked, all that laid out in front of us, and let's talk about your particular process. Uh, it looks like, yeah, from looking through it, it looks like you preach at least twice a month. Is that fair to say, two to three times? Yes, yes, generally, probably at least three times. But yeah, three, three on average every year in a month uh, at the church. Yeah. So why don't you just give us a rough idea for you know any given sermon, how far in advance you start, and walk through a timeline of what your process looks like. 
Now, I often get asked this and often get to teach seminars on preaching preparation and and I will I'll I'll say two things that are not uh, <laughs> I hear a qualifier coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So some people, you know, I, I, I try and push back against the situation especially my own denomination where we have pastors who are not particularly good at preaching and not trained in it and they could be much better, who will spend two days a week trying to prepare something original and amazing and it turns out to be absolutely awful. And then when I'm coaching them, I'm saying, what is, you know, and if their church is paying them because they're a small church, say, if you look at the cost to the output, it is just awful. Uh, and we shouldn't be doing it. So I'm I'm very much, this is from a, a background, I was a teacher and, a, and a, I am a teacher and educationalist still in many ways. Um, the, the best way to prepare to teach is to teach other people's material. So um, I feel that I learned to teach over the years by taking as many talks from as many people as I could and turning those into my curriculum for teaching. Now, as a as a charismatic, that goes against my tradition, which often would say, well, you just sit down and get a word from God. But, you know, if you can't put something in, God hasn't got something to work on to bring out uh, in terms of improvisation. So on the one hand, I've probably spent I don't know how many thousands of hours in the last 15 years reading and researching and thinking my actual sermon preparation would be like a teacher for a high school class. I probably spend, if I'm speaking for 30 minutes, I will spend an hour preparing that 30 minutes. So I, I'm a believer in putting things into you using other people's resources uh, as a focus for teaching but making your preparation time very short. Hmm. So that's why I say that they, they often sound mutually uh, exclusive. Some people say, uh, so I will often get up on a Sunday morning, I will spend one hour to prepare and write up my half an hour talk. The reality is I'm probably never going to do that talk again. Um, so why would I spend two days on it? Um, what you're trying to achieve in that half an hour in terms of cost and input needs to be weighed up. Um, and, and I don't want to waste time on that. But as I say, the other side to that is the whole of life and thinking and praying and reading and learning becomes the fuel for your preaching and teaching. Now, I know for some people that doesn't work, but I find for a lot of busy bivocational church planters, much better they spend less time preparing uh, and do that. And as a method, uh, I find with the church planters I coach, they come back and they generally will say, wow, my, my preaching is better. Unsurprisingly, it's got good content from other people. They're becoming better teachers and much more focused uh, at, at what they do. So that that's generally been my method. Um, one of the ironies is the different preaching environments, and I'm sure you found this, John, take me more time. I think the most time I've ever spent preparing was for a seven-minute homily hmm. um, at Ripon College, Oxford, one of the Oxford University colleges. Uh, and it's got one of the oldest churches in the United Kingdom there, um, an Anglo-Saxon church Um Again, probably, I don't know, maybe some of the oldest parts of the building, 1,400 years old. So standing up there to speak the week after the Bishop of Oxford had spoken, and you've got seven minutes to deliver a homily, I think I spent about three days preparing those seven minutes. <laughs> seven minutes is tough. Every, 
because it was short and every single word had to be precise and placed and timed. Um, now, I've got friends who do seven-minute homilies as Anglicans on a regular basis, and they've got 15 years' experience of them, and they can knock those together in, you know, an hour. So uh, it often depends on the context and what you're you're doing. But uh, but generally for me, for regular preaching week in, week out, that's my that's my process. Now, when I'm doing a series on things, I will be reading and thinking, um, and I start to build up an outline in my head and sketch one out, um, and talks coalesce for me over time. But I, I find myself at this stage of life teaching out of things that I have spent the last 15 years thinking about and learning about and I'm adding to. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I love that. I resonate with that a lot because I I am Bible vocational, and I feel like so much of my own process has to be sermon. Yeah. Sermon preparation isn't an activity as much as it's a, a way of life, So you know, because you're, you're yeah. always engaging it. So well, let, let me ask the simple question first. The hour, yep. that, the hour that you sit down, when does that happen? Uh, we have two Sunday morning services, 1, 9, 15, 10, 45. So for me, it starts at 6 a.m. So you'll get up at 6 a.m. You know what the topic is, and you'll just put it all together. And it all comes together on on that morning. Yeah. And uh, and I, I have a general uh, pattern for my talks. I always have an introduction, uh, which locates the talk in the series uh, and tells people what's coming up in that talk and why. Um, I will always have a conclusion to the talk, which will be a recap on what what we've gone through and if there's a call to action uh, and again we're a as a, as a charismatic church we're inviting people into prayer so we'll highlight things and then the centerpiece of the talk will generally be I, I have again a method and a pattern I may have three points that build on each other or I may have one point that that is you know reproduced two or three times um, as it progresses so we'll we'll let the text and the subject shape which of those methods will determine which of those methods I use but I guess I'm a, I'm a creature of habit and I, I encourage other people that are preaching to have a, a way to do that and again I picked that up for good or bad I was a high school teacher uh, did a postgraduate certificate in education and you know some really basic stuff on what are, what are you trying to help people learn and achieve and do and what strategically helps them educationally get there. So uh, I, I find myself more comfortable with preaching as, as an educational tool for learning and growth. Um, that doesn't necessarily lend itself to, for instance, you know, old-fashioned exegetical preaching, which at this stage in my life I'm finding uh, with the changes to preaching, I'm spending, I'm probably about to embark on a new season of reading lots of commentaries uh, by some old dead guys and people <laughs> to, to soak in scripture um, and embrace a more exegetical style of preaching, which would be very different for me, and I'll have to learn a new way to do that. So I'll probably be spending more time in this next season on preaching than I have for some considerable period of time because it's a different style of preaching I'll be engaging in. So let me ask then the broader question. I mean, that was the sit down, you know, 6 a.m., and I, recognizing yep. recognizing some of this might be shifting, but... Can, yeah. can you describe, you said you're a creature of habit, and that's really what this style of sermon yep. prep you're talking about is. It's 
settling yourself into, yeah. you know, good habits so that you're always engaging and forming yep. thoughts and ideas. So can you talk a little bit about what kind of habits or rhythms or yeah. practices that you do to, to engage those kind of ideas? Yeah. So uh, when I'm sitting down, I will I will know what the topic is that day because I'll have prepared the you know the series and outline. I'll have been mulling over the the, the talk in my head in the week. It's just the way I prepare. So it, it um, you know I'll then sit down. I'll probably prevaricate between six and six thirty. Check my emails, make a cup of coffee, uh, and by six thirty I start writing. Uh, six thirty to seven thirty I will write the talk um i another habit that i have is i don't have breakfast until i finish writing the talk um i walk away from it after about an hour uh have my breakfast i come back to it at uh, uh at about eight o'clock uh review it tidy it up uh go through it in my head uh, one of the things i do is i talk through my it's just a little thing i do i go through the talks um I verbalize them in my head, or I guess I sub-vocalize them at, at some speed, but just imagine me talking. Uh, my other style is I uh, only have bullet points for my talks and encourage other people I coach to do that because I rely on improvising, and I think uh, really good teachers do improvise. Most high school teachers, for instance, are not standing up reading something word for word. Uh, they have an outline and a plan and some key information, but it's their experience and their understanding of the topic that lets them engage in what they're teaching. So um, a good portion of my teaching itself takes place in the moment. Uh, rather than what I have written on the page. And I, I think that's a part of, uh, of a good educationalist and a good teacher. Um, so I will go from 8 to 8.30. I jump in the shower. I drive to the church, go to the prayer meeting before the service. Uh, and then, yeah, I'm up at 9.15 for yeah. the first delivery. So I let you go on that because I get fascinated by those kind of things, but that's not the question I was asking. <laughs> oh, what, what were you asking? <laughs> no, I just, yeah, I, I don't necessarily just mean the Sunday morning habit. I mean your your process of ongoing. Oh, my process. Yeah, through, yeah. Through the so rest I, of the week was, collecting ideas. and. Okay, yeah. <laughs> now, sometimes my, my series in advance can be – uh, you know, I go to my, you know, if I'm at a conference or a retreat, and these, these are why these spaces are important. Um, our national leaders conference uh, this year for our denomination I was at, and that was a place to hang out with friends and worship and listen. And it was during the midst of worship, and again, as a good charismatic, I'm really like, all right, Lord, I really think you want us to focus in in a season on the distinctives of what you've called us to do as a church family and movement. And that's the series that we're doing now. So back in January, that was a, 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 a reflective prayer time in the middle of worship where I felt led towards a focus in between then and the start of this series, which was after Easter, I spent the rest of January, February and March getting out books and resources uh, and landing on an outline of, say, 10 talks, so the kingdom of God, uh, the Bible, the church's family, community and army, uh, the role of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life. So, you know, probably did 
quite a bit of just a little bit every day. Uh, I use Evernote. I'm a I'm an addict for it, and just to accumulate talk outlines in there, it sort of takes shape. It's not a, a massive amount of time on a daily basis. I I find when I'm jogging or running, I'll often run through talks in my head. It's just a practice that I have. I'll often have ideas, and then I jot them down uh, at the end of the run. Uh, in the week. Prior to writing the talk, I'll ha- because of our advertising at the church, I will have focused um, at least the week before on the talk topic, title, and key Bible verses because we have a team that read our Bible verses. Um, so in that last week, I'm probably already running through the talk in outline in my head. And f- for me at this stage, it doesn't feel like much. It's only half an hour. It's an introduction two or three things in a conclusion. Um, so then by the time I sit down on the Sunday morning, I'm, I'm bringing all that together and codifying it and writing it up. Um, I'm not writing it from scratch. Um, you know, a, a lot of the talk is probably already there in my head. And to be honest with you, after doing it, you know, I think you probably should be able to do this after a long period of time. I could probably stand up on the Sunday without having sat down to write it and, you know, produce half of that in in the moment because i've already been thinking it through for the last period of time yeah so so even months ahead of time though as you at least know the topic you're you're starting up evernote folders or evernote files i love evernote too but you're starting it up just so as you're reading whatever collection of books you have on the topic you can yeah are, are your notes organized based on what you think the potential sermons will be so that if you read this quote, you can drop it in for that given sermon, or is it just one big Evernote file for that whole series, or how does that play out? Uh, it's generally just one big Evernote file for that series, and then I just dump stuff in there. Um, I say I, I, I love Evernote because with um, just I will then search it, um, yeah. and I've put enough, I've copied enough stuff in there, especially from the last few years, uh, and I rely on Spotlight on my Apple Mac for searching on previous talks and topics. Uh, so I'll pull together after you yeah, have 15 years worth of material. It's, it's amazing sometimes to sit down and realize that you've already, I did it the other day. I thought, oh gosh, I've got three talks on this topic that I did in 2007. I'd forgotten I'd even done them. Hmm. Um, and you've got all that research and material available. So uh, uh, that's, that's one of the other benefits of teaching for a long period of time. And regularly you build up your own back catalog of material and resources. So uh, yeah, and I'll just throw all those into Evernote as attachments and documents with the uh, with the one note I'm working on. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, Evernote's so good for that. I mean, it's so crazy. Uh, I'm often surprised how few preachers... I don't work for Evernote. I don't make money off Evernote. <laughs> I'm just always surprised how yeah. few preachers I really mean, uh, take advantage of it. Well, one of, one of the guys on my preaching team used to be a Baptist minister, um, and our church love him preaching. He is... Uh, delivers much more of a, of a homiletical style. Uh, he does. He's one of the few people I know who can preach word for word. He's done it so much previously as a Baptist minister. He, his talk is word for word, but he delivers it as if it's not word for word. Now it's just the antithesis of what I do, hmm. but he brings something much more 
soaked and measured and quiet and thoughtful. Uh, it takes him an inordinately large amount of time to produce his talks, so I can't get him speaking too often because he has a full-time job. But it, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful compliment uh, to the church because they they love it. He just did a series. Um, part of the series that we did earlier this year and his was on identity theft how how the how the enemy steals our identity in christ three of them and i lost track of the number of people who you know were profoundly impacted by his teaching so uh there, there are other ways to to do it and again that's part of developing preaching at this stage in the life of our church we need different styles and different voices uh, that complement each other and work together, but um, uh, but my friend, even by his own admission, would say that his style uh, is very time intensive. Um, but uh, he he can do it. Yeah. Well, I know we need to work towards winding down for for your schedule, but you mentioned uh, the imagining the kingdom, and then the you know you didn't mention it, but I'll assume the other book, Desiring the Kingdom, by Jamie Smith. Uh, are there other? Yeah. Are there other books that have just been really helpful for forming how you think about preaching? Yes, there there are. I mean, I must say, because I do a lot of academic theology and stuff, that's why I find books like Jamie Smith's Imagining the Kingdom and uh, um, helpful. Uh, not that they're books about preaching and teaching no not necessarily but they're, they're but they're about the broader and bigger issues of imagination uh worship uh the bible uh and practices and uh, um so i i find those um helpful i think a, a few years back i did a, a great deal of research on preaching and teaching uh and i found uh some and his books are still wonderful. Books by Leonard Sweet. Mm -hmm. uh, I think his ep epic book was very formational for me. Uh, are you familiar with that one, John? I don't know that I've read that one. Yeah. Um, each of the letters, E-P-I-C, stand for something experiential, yeah. uh, participatory, image-driven, and I can't remember what the C is. But um, some really, really, you know, a, a great book to think through communication processes for contemporary contexts. Uh, there is uh, iTunes U. Are you familiar with, with that as a resource? U? Yeah. Yeah. There is a whole series on there on preaching in postmodern context by Tim Keller. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm not a mad, keen uh, podcast person. I'm, I'm a speed reader, and I, I prefer the written word because I can process stuff quickly, and podcasts are a bit too slow. But that's one podcast I have worked my way through over the years, and that's free in there. It's Tim Keller with somebody else whose name escapes me, but that that's a, a phenomenal uh, is, yeah. resource. So... Um, and then I think the the biggest resource for me has not been books about preaching and teaching. It's been using the preaching and teaching materials of other good preachers and teachers. So I have probably listened to most of Tim Keller's uh, talks. Um, I have processed most of Rick Warren's talks in my time. Uh, Simon Ponsonby, who's well known in the UK, um, Andy Stanley at North Point. So you see, I'll, I'll take everything from a, a good reformed teacher like Tim Keller through to a modern uh, talk preacher like Andy Stanley. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I think those are probably it's that's 
that's the main thing I'd recommend. Finding really good preachers and teachers and listening to their material and looking at how they put their talks together. Um, and, and when you do that, you start to realize those guys have a pattern to how they do things and how they put their materials together. Yeah. And that's something you can then adopt for your own preparation. Yeah, no matter where you come from in terms of what you think of their theology or what you think of their practice or anything like that, there's no question that uh, listening yeah. to people who lots of people enjoy listening to, there's a reason for that, and you can learn from them no matter what. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one other thought that pops into my head was this is when I do do coaching or preaching and teaching. I, I get people to focus uh, more on, one, well, one aspect is good communication skills. Um if I can use it, if I use a worship analogy, because I used to do a lot of worship leading, really good worship leaders realize that it's not about having, you know, 1,300 chord substitutions to play. It's better to play five chords really, really well and know how to do a lot with them. So what I find with a lot of preachers and uh, people preaching and teaching is they're so worried about the content and material that they get stuck in it. And actually, it's good communication skills that are the most important, um, how to improvise, how to use their voice and inflection, how to understand what's going on with people that they're, they're listening to and speaking to. Because, and again, this is a whole issue on its own. I think there is a there is a a participatory nature um, of how people interact with preachers. I personally feel like the greatest sermons I've ever heard and teaching I've ever sat under, I don't feel someone spoke at me. I feel I went on with the journey with them mm -hmm. uh, and took part yeah. in the conversation with them. Yeah. Uh, and, and lots of great books would say that's actually what happens in good preaching and teaching from a communication standpoint. So focusing on communication well around less is, is something I'm passionate about. And then with my guys, when I'm doing review of their preaching and teaching, I get them to ramp up the complexity of their content once they can do a few things well and, and build up confidence. So there are, there are a whole great series of, uh, communication, uh, books. And, uh, I'm just trying to find one that I have used over the years. Uh, this is where, if I'd have prepared for you. <laughs> it's okay. If, uh, there is one really, 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 really good book, but I've got too many books in my library. Yeah, I can't find it, John, so yeah. I can't even throw it at you. Yeah, if you but think there, of it, you can email it to me, and I'll include it yeah. on the website. Yeah. So, well, well, Jason, I feel like I could carry on this conversation. Oh, I, I found it, John. Okay. Sorry, John, I found it. <laughs> Confessions of a Public Speaker. Huh. Confessions of a Public Speaker by Scott S C O T T Birkin B E R C U N, um, and again, I think I've, I've given away so many copies of, of yeah. that book, but it's one of the best books on public speaking and communication skills that I found. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Well, um, yeah, I know you need to move on, and uh, oh yeah, like, like I was seven, about to say, I, I feel like I could carry on this conversation uh, for hours and hours. But thanks so much uh, for what you've brought to this. A pleasure. Yeah, it's it's good to hear your voice. And yours, John. Yeah. All right, thank you. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Jason. Take care, John. Bye. Bye. Bye.